guys excited for the new Minions movie? The Rise <laughs> of Absolutely not. See, no. I don't have any history with Minions. I just thought it'd be... I've seen Despicable Me 1, and that's it. I think I've seen the second one, but I, I stopped caring. My nephews like those movies. The Minions cinematic universe could one day overtake the DCU. Interesting theory. Although Morbius came out swinging, and I can't wait personally for Morbius 2. It's Morbin time. I don't know how to respond to you, Randy. It's okay. You don't I, have to. I want to respond to you. This is embarrassing. It's a special occasion tonight, yeah? Stephen. We are back. At it again. At it again <laughs> with your house in this white room. We have with us series semi-regular and fan favorite. <laughs> Who's with us tonight, Stephen? Allie. <laughs> Good to be with you. And why, Gabe? Why is she here tonight? What are we talking about today? Today, we're talking Pachinko. It's the new series. Season one. Yeah, apparently season one, because it got picked up for a second season. Although, I feel like the common thought was that it was going to be a single limited series. A limited series. So, we all got baited by the open ending, which, yeah, it, it opened some new plot lines in the finale episode. Interesting idea. Interesting thing to do in your finale i felt baited for sure because i i think i was halfway through the season when i started thinking i don't think this is gonna wrap up (laughs) and i I googled is there gonna be a second season and like yeah apple tv which is where this is Mm -hmm. uh, renewed it for a second season so yeah apple tv coming up big this year with some incredible productions 100 percent Pachinko is something that was on my mind. We've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time, but it took Gabe a while to watch it. Gabe, slow as always, late on the come up, you know, you know what they say. (laughs) You would know, but yeah, Pachinko is something for a long time because after seeing Blue Bayou, not Blue Bayou, Blue Bayou, (laughs) Justin Chan's amazing film. And I started following him on Instagram and he posted about directing Pachinko. And I was like, oh, sweet. It looked amazing watching the trailer. And then and then I got information about Koganata, who's the other director of the series. It's just Koganata and Justin Sean. Koganata is one word like Beyonce or Zendaya. Something. Zendaya. Zendaya. <laughs> Get it right or pay the price. Zendaya. I say Zendaya too. It's Zendaya. I've heard it both ways, so. Mm. Either or. Just now you did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. But... Koganata, Justin Chan, they had me at that and seeing the trailer, it looked amazing. It took us, Ali and I, a while to, just to watch it because we were watching a bunch of other things. We're catching up on Better Call Saul, it took a while for us to get there, but we're here and we're doing Pachinko season one because it's worth talking about. I think we could all say unanimously that it wasn't precisely what we expected mainly because as we were just saying it it really felt sort of open-ended um instead of being kind of summarized and so that will be a a running theme throughout this episode we should leave this podcast on a cliffhanger too yeah uh, in honor of the show (laughs) will gabe (laughs) live until the next podcast or will he not (laughs) will gabe be canceled off the podcast (laughs) who will fill his seat maybe ali the burnett occult podcast there you go the btpc but yeah this is, well, how do we do this? It's, okay, what we're going to do, Gabe, okay, I'm is ready. talk about the show. <laughs> <laughs> really, honestly, though, we, we should tell the story. It's based off of a book. This show is based off of a book called Pachinko. 
that follows kind of a, a generations in a Korean family. Um, the setting, the backdrop for the first generation that we follow is in a Japanese-occupied Korea, I think in the early 1900s, around 1913, 12? Starts in the 20s. Or 1920, something. Okay. And, yeah, and that's kind of the backdrop. And then it flashes forward, it flashes into the middle, it flashes backward again, and follows that same young lady that we find in Korea at that time as she grows up to be uh, a grandma and back again. But there is kind of a, a through line story, but Gabe most recently watched it. So I'm going to have Gabe fill you in on kind of what happens in the show. Yeah. Well, like Steven said, it's an epic historical family drama. I actually got big East of Eden vibes from it, the way it jumps through mm. time. I mean, East of Eden didn't jump through time, but well, Allie knows. It's generational. Yeah, exactly. It's a generational story. So our two main timelines take place in the 30s with Sunja who is in her teens, probably, about that time. And then her as an older woman in the 80s. And that plot line also focuses on her grandson, who is Jin Ha, who is this up-and-coming businessman who's trying to make a name for himself. And this family... Where's Jin Ha from? Well, we know him from uh, Devs. He was our ill-fated but lovable cohort co-adventurer yeah. of the main character of Devs. Yeah. I think he died, didn't he? He did, but the ending of Devs was them sort of being together in the afterlife. Oh, sort of. But he looks yeah. so different. Here. Yeah, he's totally different. He's very clean cut. He, he looks had... like he looks way more handsome in this show than he does in Devs. Jin Ha and Devs had this crazy facial hair going on, but he's very clean cut here. Anyway, back to Pachinko. So uh, we have a host of characters all from Sunja's family from her parents down through her grandchildren and a few uh, ancillary characters that sort of uh, live in the family's orbit. And it's just their struggle. Sunja came up under the Japanese occupation of Korea, and I think that ended shortly after World War II. But there were still a lot of transplanted Koreans after the war mm -hmm. living in Japan, although mm -hmm. most of them went back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if it was ever explained in uh, as to be slavery, but it was basically like a slavery sort of situation, or or more like the main comparison point for me while I was watching it was the way that like black neighborhoods existed for so many years and continue to exist in some places in the United States over the last hundred years, right? Where they're just like kind of in poverty and they're barely getting by. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, death and stuff like that. Definitely racial divide in the show. Yeah. Like between the Koreans and the Japanese. Yeah, the main conflict of the show is the Japanese oppressing the Korean population, uh, both on Korean soil and on Japanese soil. So that's that's how our story launches off. And over the years, Sunja has children, and it follows her relationships with a couple key individuals, one of which is Hansu, who is this well-to-do man who... She falls in love with, but he can't marry her, so they end up uh, splitting ways, and it becomes sort of an antagonistic relationship. She ends up marrying a preacher who took pity on her once he heard her story, and that's where her family kind of... So she has a son that is Hansu's son, and then she has a second son that is the preacher's son, which you don't learn until the end of the show about her firstborn, which isn't in the later timelines as of yet. So that's one of our big new plot lines yeah. at the end of this season, 
like introduced in the last two episodes, basically. Yeah, our firstborn is named Noah. A lot of biblical names in our story who we don't see very much of. And the second son is Mizuzo or something like that, uh, Mizauzu. And he has a son, which is Solomon, who is Jin Ha's character in the 1980s that we follow. So that's kind of a brief overview of our characters. Yeah. Did you already say what Solomon is up to? And Yeah, Solomon is, uh, like I said, he's an up-and-comer in the business world, in the industry. Uh, it's, it's kind of property management or something, and he's involved with a lot of banking, international banking, and he is at an American firm, I think, and he takes this posting to go overseas to get this huge promotion because he, since he's an immigrant or he's like a, a minority, uh, his superiors don't have a lot of faith in him and they don't promote him even though he's overperformed or he's been performing well at his company. So they send him over to Japan. To, racism. Yeah, racism. Once again, so he gets this posting where he believes he can get this woman to sell her land. She is this last holdout for this large space this large property in japan i can't remember what city i had a hard time understanding why she was holding out i understood that it was these old women yeah. who who have lived there f- and and they really fought for their space and to be alive and so i i got that she was a lot of those ladies are all very principled women but i just i don't know i had a hard time understanding why she fought so hard to keep that well enough. that's one of the discussions for mm-hmm. okay. the show mm-hmm. it's, it's that's yep. a central plot point for okay, like, so, but the where themes. does it where does it leave solomon in the end solomon the deal falls through even though he convinces her initially to sell he turns back at the last second and says don't do it because he thinks of his own grandmother and then he is consequently fired from his firm and that's where we leave the show he is he doesn't know what to do he can't go back to america because he lost his work visa and this enigmatic kind of shadowy figure uh, who is Mamori Yoshi or something, who we don't really know his story yet. He comes up and hires Jinha, ends up becoming partners with him to begin a new enterprise, potentially in, in pachinko machines, which is Jinha's father's business, which is essentially gambling. Uh, so it's kind of dubious money. And that's where we leave Jinha. He's uh, kind of at odds with his family. He has what seems to be kind of a falling out with his grandmother. And all the meanwhile, the kind of connecting tissue of the 1980s timeline is towards the second half of the show, the, the hunt, the search for his stepsister slash uh, part-time lover. It's weird. Her name is Hannah, and she shows back up again with AIDS, and she passes away at the end of the season, which gets all the family to show up in one place. Part-time lover. Yeah, Exactly. And she passes away, which kind of sends Jinha off, or sorry, Solomon off to the next part of his journey for whatever season two we'll have to bring. Yeah, and it should also be noted that there was one episode, episode seven, that was sort of an anthology episode. Well, it provides the important background for Hansu, who is soon just, I, I think that was important to have because he briefly mentions his past and uh, it provided a lot of context both for his character and for the kind of the greater narrative of the Korean-Japanese relationship. And also America. America is this third party that kind of overshadows the whole thing. Episode 7 mainly deals with this earthquake that transpired. The Kanto earthquake, which is a real thing. In Japan. Devastated Japan and that region in the 20s. Which, if you think about like events that set a whole story into motion, there's usually stuff like that in these epic historical drama shows. Yeah, but it, it... literally rocked the 
world at that time. Yeah, I think the, there were like 100,000 casualties. Yep. Um, like it just demolished all the plans everyone had. And But that was is what enabled Hansu to become a man of power and wealth because he, he left with this family who was kind of, he was a mobster guy that took him under his wing after Hansu's father passed away in the earthquake. And that's how he came to have all this power and money, which sets the stage for our 30s timeline where he comes back to his hometown because he's Korean mm-hmm. and uh, is a man of influence there. Starts wheeling and dealing. That makes sense. Well, he's not really a wheeler and dealer. It's it's unclear what his ties are in Japan. Well, he's in charge, and he definitely is a hustler. Yeah. Well, they, they say how he's an honest man. He's firm, he's stern, and ruthless at times, but he is an honest man. That's They make sure to make that clear. He seemed to be hustling certain people, but... I think that's important it's an important distinction that he is a man of character hmm. uh but in his own way he follows his own code yeah that, like at least that's what the local people believe that he's offering honest prices yes yeah the local people believe that but i yeah. thought we saw instances of him kind of being not Shady. so not so holy yeah he has that aspect to him but he is proud of his korean heritage i think or not maybe not proud of it as the operative word but he hmm. is he still uh operates within these people uh, yeah. primarily. So I don't think he's trying to rip off and he, he still has disdain for this, for the Japanese as well, because mm. he's married to a Japanese woman. It is a loveless marriage. He's very yeah. clear with Sanju that he doesn't really love his wife and he has three daughters over there too. Yeah. He's very important because he ends up taking a shine to what, I mean, it's his son. Noah is his son. So he ends up uh, interacting with Noah Mm-hmm. In the 30s, that's where we leave the show. Is he's sort of telling Noah, you know, don't let it, anyone like keep you here. That it's one of the big themes of the show again is that idea of like trying to reach beyond and live for something greater than being stuck in your own situation, yeah, your circumstance. Mm-hmm. So that is basically there's a lot there's a lot to this show, but that's that's the gist of it. Let's go through the cast really quick. You already said Jin Ha, Jin Ha, Solomon, Solomon. and from Minari. The the grandma from Minari, her name is... Ye Jung Yoon? Yeah. I can't remember how he figured it out last time. Because <laughs> we heard it. Yeah. She's pretty popular. But she plays the older Sunja, and the younger Sunja is played by Min Ha Kim, and Hansu is played by Lee Min Ho. He's a super famous Korean actor, I think. Yeah. I think a lot of these people are. Yeah. From Westworld, we had Jimmy Simpson playing Tom, Westworld season one. And there's there's a lot of other characters. Hana is played by Mari Yamamoto, and Yoshi is played by Louis Ozawa. And there's a bunch of like kids and wait who did, who's the who's the priest is what we're missing. Steve Sang Hyun no no Steve Sang Hyun no he plays the kind of like the most moral character in the show I would say. Um, he's the priest that marries Sunja. Anyway, that's the show. And let's start off the conversation. What do you think the motivations of that older woman, why she wouldn't sell her house? I'm, a, I'm asking a question here because I'm actually curious. Let Allie talk. <laughs> I want to bring up something else that will get into that. But I just wanted to first bring up the method of storytelling that's presented to us in the show. Like Gabe brought up East of Eden, which I didn't think about, but I thought that was a great parallel or like dark 
or even like speaking of like biblical narrative like even like the hebrew scriptures i'm thinking of like abraham isaac jacob joseph like you're following these different generations of the same family and their traumas and their triumphs and i think a show like that or storytelling where you're looking at a family through different generations is really interesting and really powerful and i guess that's the first thing that kind of i think um caught my attention and even as i'm like marinating and all of it now i'm thinking like i think that's what made this show so powerful is you're seeing the evolution of this family through different generations and what they go through given the different context like the different historical context of their time so sunja she wasn't even supposed to be born technically like her mother and father they were living in complete poverty they had three sons who died in infancy and her mother basically went to someone to pray over the situation um or do some sort of i don't know casting out of a curse or or whatever it was something where she was seeking help because she was unable to have a healthy child and then Sunja was born. And I think when stories start out like that, it is really profound because it gives us this clarity of like, this character, this person is important. And despite all the circumstances, they're, they have like a destiny, right? There's something like profound about this person and what, what will happen in their life. And that's totally who Sunja is. Like, we totally. get to see... Everything, obviously the story is still unfolding. There's a huge part that we're missing, but through her childhood and her teenage years and early adulthood, we get to see um, kind of her suffering as well as the way she perseveres. And this really is a story of perseverance. And I think that ties into Stephen's question of why the other elderly woman didn't want to sell because a huge theme of the show is this generational divide of these people who went through these extremely challenging times of being persecuted of having little to nothing of surviving it was a mode of survival and then their grandchildren's generation where they're given so much more and have so much more opportunity and so I think that's really what that part of the story serves is to show us that generational gap and actually how Solomon comes to realize that because in the end he decides to close the deal. He says, don't sell because he comes to this recognition of like, oh, this is really important. It's not about money. It's not about success. This is about what is meaningful to this generation, to my grandmother's generation and everything they went through. He also related to it through his own persecution as well, because he has been persecuted because of, you know, not being promoted because of racism and being Korean in America and so forth, you know? And so he, he understood, he related to it in that way and through his own, understanding of being persecuted made that decision to to tell that woman not to sell risking his job and status and everything and i and i bring that up because one of the things that i 
was thinking about throughout the whole show was how the different generations were persecuted, but in their own way. And they, they dealt with their own way, like kinds of suffering and trying to learn how to thrive in the society that they're in, you know? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, I think that like the distinction is very different in terms of like Solomon's experience and like his grandmother's generation's experience because I think the show makes it evident through multiple instances of like it was a matter of life or death for them where it was different for Solomon. Hmm. Like it's not a matter of life or death or or having when are you going to get the next meal? Like it shows the example of like Solomon and his grandmother and she's making something in the kitchen and he's helping and then it burns mm-hmm. and he's about to throw it away and she's like, are, are you crazy? Like mm-hmm. that's food. That's good food. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's showing this generational gap yeah. throughout the show. Of like, no, this is like this generation persevered uh-huh. just for the sake of like breathing living yeah yeah i'm not trying to say that one suffering is better or worse than another but you're saying i get what you're saying like he had compassion and like he was able to great gain a greater empathy because he Mm -hmm. he's also been through some difficult things correct but i'm also trying to say that solely just it was interesting to see how there was like a, a physical persecution and a physical kind of striving to to get above water versus sort of the more social persecution that her grandson faced in the 80s. He is not worried so much about where's the next meal going to come from. He's more worried about like acceptance and, you know, societal influence and, and, you know, status. And, and, you know, he's dealing with a totally different kind of thing that is also built on the backs of the generations that have come before him. And I, and I thought that that generational showcasing was, was interesting because it's a lot of the same ideas that lead a lot of the youth into coming from places of privilege because they have all their needs met, their, their physical needs met. You know, they have a roof over their head, they have meals, they have clothing on their backs that they deal with a whole different kind of struggle. And that's kind of what I'm trying to say is it's just like there's a totally different struggle that Solomon is facing than his grandma faced. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I the whole debate over which suffering is worse or better is a totally different conversation. But it focused on her mainly and him mainly. And it kind of skipped over, at least for this season, skipped over his dad, who's the middle generation. And so I, I found that that was fascinating because mm-hmm. I was like, there's, they're clearly trying to show a dichotomy, but also a similarity that you know, they're both suffering, but in just different ways, you know? No, it, it takes different forms over the years. Uh, it's evolved the discrimination and the oppression of minorities within those regions. And the, yeah. yeah. I think it's also how you define suffering. It's a powerful word. Well, just persecution or like the, the feeling of striving to, to get above water. Sunja was worried about the practical and physical means and well-being of her family. While Solomon has all those things met. So he's worried about a whole different other slew of problems, like more, I guess, societal or intellectual concepts, you know? Well, it's an important distinction to make too, because that there's kind of like a general resentment that's part of the discussion. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the Jinha even literally brings up in the script yeah. uh, to, to Sunha, Sunya, Sunja, uh, towards the end. 
he's asking her if she resents him because it's clearly he, clearly Jinha also resents a little bit of his upbringing because of the suff- that that suffering has caused this weight that Jinha can feel on him. I think he's the first one of his great motivators is he's the first in his family to achieve this yeah. level of success. And again, yeah. we don't know what his uncle Noah got up to um, later on in his life, but but he is he's carrying that weight with him of all that just generations worth of totally of suffering Mm -hmm. and pride and honor is a big thing uh Uh, that's that's something i was going to try to pivot into uh uh, with these eastern cultures and so yeah while while the shape of the suffering may be different like it was quite literally a battle for daily survival Uh for sunya yeah there's still a sense of both uh personal and community uh pride and honor and that's something they're fighting for they and it's something that kind of we see start to develop pretty literally towards the end of Sunya's story in this season, uh, towards the end of the 1930s, because her, her husband, uh, Isaac, the pastor, begins to become a leader of this movement that is... Uh, Communism. Yeah, it's, it's said to be a communist movement inside this region. And so because they're, they're wanting to kind of reach up and take power for themselves because they've never had it, really. So it's interesting to see the way those things kind of the waves carry on through the generations, mm. even though we skipped one to get to the present day. Yeah. But yeah, it, it does take different shapes. I don't think the conversation of like, which is more or like more yeah. intense is even like doesn't worth matter. having because there's so yeah. many, there's so many, um, doesn't matter. <laughs> so many like layers to the show. And that, that's kind of like just the shell of it. You know, that's like just sure. the surface level of it. Sure. One of the things I also found most fascinating about this show that was just really a, a cool, uh, like, a, like a, a neat little thing that they did <laughs> was they had like a card come up in the beginning that said, this is presented in the native languages and they have different colors for the different languages. So I think yellow was Korean and blue was Japanese. And then they also spoke English sometimes. So there's three different languages happening. It's, it's mainly in Korean then Japanese, I would say is the second most. And it was interesting to see when they jumped back and forth because like we're talking about the integration of two different cultures, Japanese into Korean, like these, these Korean people had to learn Japanese and then they would say specific Japanese words at specific times. And you would see that because you would see it change colors and us being English speaking folk. We like, we have no idea. We would not be able to tell that they were changing complete languages unless we had that as well, which was really neat. I think that was a pretty brilliant narrative tool. And it's also very important. I found watching the show uh, to the characters because some of the characters, it's very telling when they switch between um, Mm -hmm. Japanese, Korean and English, like what that means for them and what that means in the scene and, like, what, and what they're trying to get across yeah and sometimes they'll be speaking to each other in different languages like Sunya's second son Muzozu he has integrated uh, pretty heavily into Japanese culture I think I'm not sure if that's where his pachinko parlor is but he speaks mostly Japanese and Sunya speaks mostly Korean so anytime they're communicating with each other you feel like there's this uh, barrier that again might uh, be indicative of some of that resentment we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's fascinating to watch yeah. all these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I thought also it was interesting, like the generational passing of like the artifact of like the watch. Yeah. Like it reminded me of dark. I can't remember what it was in dark, but something kept being passed around in different generations. It was like 
the machine Wasn't or something. Wasn't it a watch? I think it was, was a watch. Was it a watch? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. That's a huge point um, because the watch, it, I mean, it has a lot of importance in the plot as as a literal device. Right, time. But it's also, metaphorically, it's a representation of something that Stephen mentioned to me before I had started watching the show and he was trying to describe sort of the journey of these characters, what the show is about in a nutshell. And he said, he and I think you even mentioned this earlier, Ali, he said, he talked about the curse, like the curse mm-hmm. of this family and the way they perceive their situation over this almost a century of time mm-hmm. is that they feel like there's this heavy curse on mm-hmm. them. Not not so much in a um, religious sense or like a supernatural sense, but it's like uh, existentially there's a weight there and they yeah. feel like they are, maybe maybe a good way to describe that would be like cosmically unlucky. And we see that in the beginning with Sunja's mother having multiple miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And then just every generation, they feel like they're getting the short end of the stick mm-hmm. uh, because they are. And things keep happening to them. Uh-huh. And so the watch, I think Sunya literally says towards the end of the show that this watch represents the curse. Well, she said, I thought this used to be a curse. Right. And then she's handing it off to, to Solomon because she no longer believes that, right? Mm-hmm. Or or she's, it's it seems significant that she's passing it to him because now it's his turn to take over the story mm-hmm. and which is it's an interesting because we leave the story there essentially with, like with Solomon the, carry the mantle forward kind yeah of. and he's like we said he's getting into business with this other guy who it could have a lot of problems for their family moving forward so it, it's kind of ominous in that way mm-hmm. but um, yeah tracking that watch throughout history specifically in the 30s the way it bounces back mm-hmm. and forth between the family and I'm not sure if we know how Sunya comes into possession of it again. Oh, no, we do, because Hanzu in the, in the 30s gives it to Noah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he confronts him, mm-hmm. not confronts him, but comes alongside him without telling him that he's his father. And then I guess at some point, which we haven't seen yet, Noah gives that back to his mother. Right. And that's surely to be a climactic yeah, or a very uh, pivotal scene because Noah doesn't know his father yet. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then she'll know. Yeah, oh, and then she has that watch. <laughs> yeah, she has that watch for decades and then passes it on to Solomon. But yeah, the the curse of this family is kind of just uh, the is is the whole point of the show, mm-hmm. right? It's setting up all the uh, adversity mm-hmm. that they have to overcome. Yeah, I'm hopeful they'll in the next season they'll show us more of Noah and his adulthood. Surely, yeah. And as well as if they're Sonja and Hansu, like kind of how their relationship plays out, because to me it feels like. I think there's more or I want more. Like it feels like that wasn't like the last time they saw each other couldn't have been the last. Yeah. There's the so last much more, time. Surely. I think there's gotta be a lot more that plays out from what we've seen. Isaac's still in jail, right? At, at the point that, we yeah, know. he was carted away and we don't know yet who it it's with his daughter screaming or his son's screaming after him. Yeah. And it's, we don't know so sad really what happened there, but it's, it's, it's either what is obvious, which is that Hanzu uh, told the police about Isaac because he's been watching the family this whole time. Or that's just what they want you to believe and it wasn't Hansu, right? I don't think Hansu would actually do that. You don't think so? See, that's just, that's what I'm saying. There's a little he, bit of shady aspect to him, see? I don't, yeah, I don't think he would because he's he gave her the, like, he gave her the watch and then he gave Noah the watch back. Like, he's watching over them in in a lot of ways. Like, he even offered to buy Isaac a suit, like, oh, I'm going to take care of you guys. 
Well, it seemed it seemed it's like, a dominance. <laughs> yeah, it's it a dominance. It like it's a, a control. Thing. I'm not saying it's love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not love. It's control, and it's. I, I'm, but that scene I'm ended just with saying, Isaac. I think he. I think he wants their well-being ultimately. Like um, his, At son, least his son, and At least his even son. I think even Sunja. I think he's he's a kind of obsessed with her. Yeah, he definitely. I think he's in love with her. I really yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. Because they yeah. they clearly displayed love like a like a deep mm. love toward one another. Mm-hmm. And he he um, warned and, her, and about. he was like, "I love you, and I don't love my wife." You know, so I think he loves her. Yeah, we're we're again. There's so much context yet to be had between what happens in the 40 years after that, which could bring us to our next point, which is going into this show thinking it was a limited series. I think Gabe and I, Ali, probably felt similarly that like this was going to be like a nice, neat story, like wrapped up, and where they left it felt kind of unsatisfying as far as like this being a a self-contained story gabe what do you think yeah i i didn't love the final episode i we see a lot of sequel baiting in movies and television these days like across the board Mm -hmm. in every piece of content or every every style of content genre and i don't think they knew that they were going to have additional seasons when they made this show because it was it was uh, bought for a second season afterwards. And it's kind of a frustrating spot to end the show if this was to be all we had because we see Sunya in the market. She she has this cool, like, it that ends... Is, yeah, yeah it, it ends a chapter of her life, obviously, because of what she, what she becomes in those final moments that we see her. But there's so much story left to tell with hers. And then, particularly in the 80s timeline, it felt like it was just getting started and it was setting up so much with Solomon with his father, with his uncle, that it it felt just like a it, it would be terrible for the show to end there. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminded me that maybe just coming off of watching the, the last season of This Is Us, but it reminded me of like a much more intense and dramatic This Is Us where it's like dealing with generational stuff and seeing how, you know, the the parents affect the children and, that affects the grandchildren and so forth like that. And I've seen people say this is just a fraction of the book oh, that it's really? based on. And they've also changed a few pivotal things. Oh. I think, for instance, with Isaac being taken in for those, his... You think they're just adding drama to that? Uh, well, I don't know if it's meant... To, I, I don't know what their intentions are as the writers. Uh, but they are changing things, but they haven't covered very much, so clearly there is so much story left to tell. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, personally, I wish they had wrapped this season up in yeah. a better way. They, they do try to close the 80s timeline with Hannah's death. She passes away from AIDS, and that's what brings the whole family together. Mm-hmm. But Solomon being set up for a whole new style of, like his character arc is just, this is a launching off point for him, so... Yeah, I I was not entirely satisfied. Although I couldn't be mad at the show because from start to finish, the show is just so incredible, incredibly produced. It's beautiful and so well made and acted. Right. That I was just I was enjoying it and savoring every minute of it. I just wish that it had uh, been more of a complete story in and of itself. Maybe that's hard to do with the source material. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you guys that like I wanted more, but knowing there's another season makes me feel more settled and i just wanted to also comment on that like scene with sunja and in the marketplace and how powerful that was just because it was showing this visual 
transformation of or like this realization of her coming to I guess it was showing this visual representation of her coming to the realization that she needed to change or like she needed to to in order to survive she needed to essentially like extend herself in a way that she was not used to um, and just shows her like you know like being very quiet to all of a sudden yelling and like just mm-hmm. begging people to come over and using this you know salesperson um persona persona yeah. um and i thought that was super super powerful and then yeah i ended with real women who um they're all like almost 100 or mm-hmm. more or older mm-hmm. who grew up during this same time um and that i thought that was also very powerful because it kind of left us on this note of you know these these women are still alive and they're still they're still dealing with a lot of their past trauma and like their experience during this time period was very real and and affected their lives to this day like even one of them was there was there was a few that were very you know positive type people similar to Sunja i think Sunja is a very positive elderly woman but one of one of the women was like yeah I, I i can't remember exactly what she says but to paraphrase you know i went through you know a lot of suffering a lot of difficult things and she said she basically she finds it hard to be nice to people and i thought you know that was like kind of powerful because it's you know that's oftentimes what happens it's like people go through these really difficult traumatic things and they've been treated mistreated so badly and so they don't they don't know how to give anything other than than um cynicism cynicism to the world mm. because the world treated them badly so um, interesting i i that's a good point i i didn't think about that and i also thought that went back to the character foil of sonja in her older elderly age and the woman who didn't want to sell because the same generation but i did think they were a character foil and then mm-hmm. and, and sonja being a little bit more of this positive type of survival list versus the other character who was a lot more cynical and a lot more resentful of the next generation. Whereas Sonja kind of wanted, she wanted Solomon to do better. She wants the best for him. And I think she had a little bit more, I don't know, like hope for, for her grandchild. Yeah. One thing that she also did, I think we didn't even mention this was she went back to Korea for like the first mm-hmm. time or the first time in a long time the first time the first time ever since she since was she yeah, to japan. a young woman mm-hmm. yeah and the whole the whole of her going to japan in the first place when she's a young woman she's pregnant on this ship it was like almost a traumatizing experience to watch um but then seeing her go back to korea and trying to find where her dad is buried and it was that was a really touching moment in the show as well yeah, it was. It surprised me that she had never considered that before. I, I know was, it was like almost a new idea or something. I think as she is, I think through a survivalist, like, yeah, lens, like yeah. she's assimilated, she's moved on, like sure. she's. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. But it was, it was, it was, it was sad. Yeah. to watch mm-hmm. honestly. It's almost like she finally gave herself the luxury of like being nostalgic, mm-hmm. and like. Okay, I'm going to go to my family home and I'm going to just process this all. And she went with her son and she even yeah. like talked about how the rice tasted differently mm-hmm. from where she grew up, which was interesting. 
something I've never even thought about. Just normal white rice tasting differently mm-hmm. from different regions. That's a fascinating yeah. idea. Her connection with her native land and specifically her mother and father was a very, a very um, strong, I, I guess, just, just, a, it was like, a, it was very moving. Mm-hmm. Like even when she moved to Korea, like she was sobbing after mm-hmm. um, her sister-in-law washed the clothes because she could no longer smell her native land oh, and her mother. Yeah. Um, right. That was intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gives to her children what her father tried to give to her, which is that, yeah. like, that promise of both protection and, like, trying to give them everything. Mm-hmm. And so she, yeah. like you said, she fights. It is a lifetime of, uh, <laughs> or at least decades of hardships that, mm-hmm. that harden these, these women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'd love that contrast, that dynamic between her and I think the older woman's name was Gumia or something. Gumja. Uh, because it exposes sort of this naivety to Sunja that after all she's been through, she still hasn't considered, or she has at least perhaps forgotten, like you said, those parts of her past. She's buried them. And, and then, I mean, this kind of brings us back to the conversation about the older woman not selling, but that idea of, of holding on to the past mm-hmm. and, and hmm. cause that, that is their whole identity. This woman is, yeah. is this struggle. That's and has been able to move past that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know yet where, like it was probably after the war again, where she was able to, life got a little bit easier for her. Mm-hmm. But uh, Gumja is, is someone who's still rooted in that time. And she even contends with her children for that reason. And again, that's like the generational resentment or mm-hmm. at least inability to understand each other. Mm-hmm. And we see that with Mozazu too. Like, He's often not really arguing, but he's uh, perplexed by the way his mother uh, behaves and the mm. things that she cares about. Yeah. The last question I had was, what do you guys think is the role of Hana's character? It's a great question. Because <laughs> it almost felt like, okay, they're bringing in this relationship and like, what, what, what is the storyteller trying to tell us through this relationship and then like the loss of her and like... Just the whole situation is kind of weird. Like she keeps calling, I but think, she's all. I think it was just I showing. You. It, it it mainly was there to. And she's Japanese. Further, the Solomon story, like, and and like Gabe said, it felt like they tried to wrap up the season with her death, as if like that's that's the cap that the season needed. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it was really just more context for Solomon for me. I almost felt like her character was unnecessary, but like I would just yeah. wanted to. Solomon's an interesting character in that, and Gabe and I were discussing this earlier today. That like, he's almost the villain. He has like a villain story arc, and I think she's kind of like this femme fatale kind of character for his story. Gabe. Yeah, um, it's it's really tricky to decipher what the intent was for her, but I think I had I had a lot of thoughts moving into the eighth episode, I think it was the eighth episode, where it sort of changes, like the whole texture of Hana's character changes because she is talking to Sunya, who is cleaning her, the grandmother. And Hana recounts the tale from her childhood where Sunya was talking to her after Solomon has left for America, which we discover is because he had to, I think. 
Uh, and Hannah blames her or uh, accuses her. She says that you told me like that essentially this was my fault. She says that it's better that Solomon leaves because we'll just hold him down or something. He'll be he'll feel the weight of this thing that is our family. And Hannah interpreted that as Sunya isolating like Hannah as that that thing that is not good for Solomon. Mm-hmm. And she internalized that, and that's what set her off on her path of running away and becoming uh-huh. yeah. what she is now and eventually culminating in her, in her death. But Sunya says that it wasn't that. It was she was talking about... He'd be better off without her. Yeah. Sunja, not Hana. Yeah. So what I ended up uh, believing Hana's role was in the story was both... Was kind of to show a the perfect example in the modern context, modern being the 80s timeline, of the casualties of this years-long, you know, generational, I don't know if what, conflict, I guess, of like this, this whole mess in that area of the world, um, both for the family and just on, in a greater context as almost representative of the Korean people, um, because she dies as a result of this weight, this burden of these people that it was never really her fault to begin with. She was born into the system. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a conversation, again, that we hear throughout the show, is that these are children born into the system of uh, oppression and oppression, discrimination yeah. and poverty. And they have nothing to look forward to but that. And that's, that's what they're trying to overcome the whole run of the show. And that's yeah. what Solomon represents. That's what he embodies, is that attempt to reach out and beyond and pull himself... Yeah. Into this new space. So I think I think she mostly existed just to provide that. Mm. Um, it's almost like a metaphor. Yeah, metaphorically, it was it was to show the other path. You have two paths. You can stay and you can die, essentially sooner than later in this way of living. In uh, mm-hmm. or you can you can go beyond and try to achieve something greater. Yeah. Which every again every generation we see that that conflict in each character. Every character has this moment where they're like, in the show, this moment where they're they're struggling with their lot in life and they're mm-hmm. trying to move beyond that. So she was someone that didn't get out of it and she dies. And then Solomon sees that and I think it's important for him to see that moving forward. And I think it just gives him more emotional ammunition to fight for what comes next, which is him carving out a piece of the world for himself. Mm-hmm. I, again, it just, it felt strange it did feel like it came, it, it was a strange place in, because Solomon's journey is one that I felt was kind of whiplashy, the way he he begins in a place. I felt like he ended up in a similar place to where he began, which is like, he's willing to do anything to achieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not not so much what he feels he's owed, but what he, like he his family has never had, that mm-hmm. greatness. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he got past that with Sunya, and now he's back in a different way, he's kind of in the same spot where he's, he's now once again, willing to do anything. Uh, like the ends justifies the means he wants to have those things that, that status or something like that, that greatness. I, I'll, I just think of it as greatness because of the East of Eden parallel, but is it, uh, overall you guys think it's worth a uh, watch? Yeah. No, really. I mean, I'm asking. Would we be talking about it if it wasn't? Pachinko Sometimes is, would. I just want to say Pachinko I, is one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time. And I don't think nice. it beats Severance for me. No, for sure. But there is such a mastery, I, yes. I think, in every technical aspect here. Yes. Both Koganata and Justin Chan were amazing. And the score was great, as well as the music. 
Yeah, and there's so much passion. This thing, it, it just bleeds passion from every angle. Uh, from these, uh, I don't know how much of the crew was Korean, but from the cast mm-hmm. to these directors, there is such an intent that you can see shining through with the story that they're telling. In uh, not just in Western culture, but in cinema around the world, this is it's a very underrepresented time. And I personally, even as a fan of history, didn't know very much at all no. about. Mm the Japanese occupation of Korea. So I, it is educational. You didn't learn about that in the public school system? No. I no. knew nothing, Jon Snow. I, I didn't nothing. even know about the Kanto earthquake. I knew that, I thought there was something. I didn't even know Kanto was a real place. I just thought it was the land in which Pokemon oh. Generation 1 took place. <laughs> is that Kanto with a C? No, it's a K. Oh, it is a K? Yeah. Anyway. It's literally based off of Kanto. The region? Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um, but it's an incredible show. I would absolutely re- recommend it to everybody. Season two, looking forward to it. Yeah, and I knew I knew the show was incredible from the first ten minutes. Like, and I've never like. I'm glad you mentioned Dark Alley. I'm just gonna end my yeah. my rant here in the next thirty seconds. So, the way they intertwine the timelines uh, as a narrative device to tell the story was so well done. Like one character, Sunya will be saying something in uh, the 1980s and it'll be cutting between something that's happening in the 1930s and it's perfectly married together in the edit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just... It's, it's all in context. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so tough to do and it shows how much care went into the uh, pre-production and all the development before they even started making the show. So mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, so, it's so good and it's so well shot I like everything being uh, like golden hour in the thirties, that, that sort of thing. It's just, it's, it's so beautiful to look at too. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Even though a lot of it is like for them considered grimy, it's still super beautiful. Yeah. And really tasteful use of CGI as well. Mm-hmm. Like the effects were never jarring. It's, it's always nice to see that integrated so fluidly mm-hmm. naturally into the rest of the show. I don't know. I, I don't have enough good. I, I, there's so many things to say about the show. We've only scratched the surface, but go watch Pachinko. It's worth the Apple Plus. You can get the... I'll scratch your surface, kid. Severance and Pachinko. There you go. It's a one for two. Two for one. Right here at the end, we're going to play the song from the fun little uh, intro that they yeah. have. It's a really catchy lift for today. Yeah, they. it's like a whole dance number with all the cast and stuff. It's super cute. So here it is. It's a great intro. seem to find and how they're in a hurry to complicate their minds by chasing after money and dreams that can't come true i'm glad that we are different we've better things to do may others plan their future i'm busy loving you one two three four Tomorrow 